What's up, everybody? We're back with episode four of Classically Untrained, and I'm your host, Justin. And with me today, I have a literal superstar, Galia <laughs> Kastner. <laughs> yeah, she's laughing because she knows how true it is. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Galia is, uh, is from Illinois, and she has done many things, but unfortunately, we only have an hour, so I can't list them all at the outset here. But uh, Galia has performed with the Cleveland Orchestra and Chicago Symphony as soloist, um, in addition to a bunch of other competitions. She's great. She's a classmate of mine at the Colburn School. So everybody, please welcome Dahlia Kastner. And what are your pronouns, Dahlia? Uh, she, her. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, yes. Thank you for being here. This is, this is great. And Dahlia also designed the new Classically Untrained logo, too. So That's catch, right. catch us on Instagram, uh, Classically Untrained underscore. And uh, yeah, that page just launched recently. So yeah. Galia, how are you doing today? I'm good. Just living my true pandemic life. How about you? <laughs> that, yes, that is too, too accurate. You know, <laughs> I, you know, so you, uh, you're in LA right now, right? Yeah, I am. Yeah. And, and so they're, they're pretty tight over there with the, with the restrictions now. Yeah, there's another lockdown uh, underway. It's not as bad as it was in March, but yeah, they're basically, they're shutting down a bunch of things, keeping the essential stuff open, but, you know, lowering the workers and stuff. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting few weeks. Um, we'll see how it goes. For sure. I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, I have some other friends who live out there, too. And, yeah, it seems like it's been really, uh, really tough. You know, they're, they're really locking down. But, you know, it's, it's, it's for the better, you know, that we try and do what we can to get this thing eradicated. But, um, yeah, you know, so you play the violin right and you're really good at the violin so i i i, I want to know and like how when did you start what kind of set you on this journey here yeah so um i you know it's an interesting thing because there's a whole story behind this but my mom is one of eight children so I have a lot of cousins and they're all over the world. Um, and she's from Indonesia and uh, came here to the States uh, for college, met my dad, had me. And then um, my mom being number four of eight. Wow, dead of, middle. Yeah, <laughs> right in the middle. She was sort of like feeling pressured to like put her kids into something, right? They were all sort of like, I mean, I have a cousin that's like being a doctor. I have a bunch of musician cousins, but all of them could play tennis like gotcha. and really well. Like I have a couple cousins that like, you know, went to state for tennis and like just and a bunch of like um, aunts and uncles who are also tennis coaches, ten who are tennis coaches. Um, and so my mom, thinking that it ran in the family, signed <laughs> me up for tennis at the ripe age of three. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yes, the ripe age of three. And of course, like me being three and not knowing what was going on, showed up on the tennis court and I couldn't do anything. I cried the whole time, couldn't hit the ball over the net. Apparently, my wrist was too floppy. Like, kept dropping the racket. My mom was devastated, like, utterly devastated because all my cousins could do it that early, except me. <laughs> and so she's calling, like, my opa in Indonesia, her, her father. And he's like, you know, like you did marry like a Russian Jewish man. Like, 
maybe she'd be good at music. You should start her on violin because all the best violinists were Russian. And what did my mom do? She started me on violin and that's where it started at four. So at, at four, four, that's when I started violin and it's just been like an uphill battle from there. So it was just, it was just, okay, tennis, no, all right, violin, yes. It was just yes. it was like that, wow. Right, and you know, it was funny because I, you know, I don't have too many memories from, you know, that time, but I do remember, like, it just was, it felt easier to me. It just, it came more naturally to me than the rest of my, you know, like, classmates, my four-year-old classmates. four-year-old, yes. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I excelled very quickly, and I loved it from the get-go. Like, I was just, I wanted to play all day long. Of course, my parents hated it. Hearing a 16th size violin all day long is just not fun. Um, and bless my parents for being, you know, cool about it. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can't even um, imagine like a little violin just yeah. Yeah, with Suzuki oh, teaching this... just like the early songs and stuff. Oh my god, So goodness. horrible. So horrific. Um, and as now, now that I'm teaching, uh, beginners, <laughs> I'm like reliving that, that those sounds again. Um, I love my students. They're all wonderful, but I bless my parents, honestly, <laughs> bless my parents. Um, but yeah, I mean, like right after that, it was sort of like my my teachers encouraging my parents to, you know, put me in all kinds of programs and to start locally competing. You know, those like little like middle school educational uh, competitions where they just kind of say like, oh, just show up and play for five minutes. And yes. be surprised. You know, I started doing that and I loved it. Like I, you know that little childlike like hide <laughs> like, yes, you show yeah. up and you get the little trophy and you like have these collection on your shelf and yeah so I did that and um by the time I was seven I started like competing competing like in a local competition with like other violinists in the area and I was doing really well in them um and I was you know I was winning them or getting prizes all the time and um and yeah finally one day I think I was my my dad always says this at like at every like family gathering but like when i was seven i sat at the dinner table and i told my entire family my sister was like one at the time but like i told them i'm gonna be a violinist and this is what i'm gonna do <laughs> and they were like okay like knowing nothing <laughs> about musicians like neither of my parents are musicians like they did not know what we were you know, heading towards. Well, you're getting into. <laughs> no, yeah. And they were just like, well, she's good. And, you know, maybe we should switch teachers and like get her started on national competitions. And then eventually, you know, and that's what I did. I switched teachers to Almeida and Roland Vemos, um, who used to teach at Northwestern University. Now they teach at uh, Roosevelt. Um, oh. They have this huge network of violinists that they've taught and known. Um, a lot of violinists in the country, if you mention the Vamos's name, they they will all know. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so they're they're really big pedagogues in the big field. Big pedagogues, yeah. I studied with them from age eight to eighteen. Um, and they were like my second set of parents. They took me on right away, full force. They put me in national competitions. They started recommending international competitions, which I did for quite a while. Um, I learned pretty much everything from them. I owe them my whole life and my career. <laughs> um, love them. Hope they're doing well. Uh, and yeah. And then now I, I'm at the Colburn School and I've been here for, this would now be my sixth year. 
um, with Mr. Robert Lipset. And yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> of course, yeah. So these these competitions, if we could just backtrack for a second, yeah. they they you did a lot. Yes. You know, and and some great things came out of it. I I think you would agree too. But what was what was that like just going from competition to competition? I mean, you see these people that you're competing with, you in a way you, you grow up with them. Yeah. You're you're there with them and you're like, "Oh, hi, you know. Yeah, how are you doing? Okay, cool." And that's it. That's your only real, you know, personable interaction you have with these people. What was that like? Yeah. I mean, this is a big this is a big thing for me. Um I, you know, when I first started competing again, I started like competing like no, locally, like when I was seven, eight, nine, you know, very, very young. Um, and so until I was like 13 ish, I, it was sort of like a second nature thing. My mom was just kind of applying me to all these competitions and I just did them. I just went in and did them. Yeah. Um, but the first time I went to an international competition, it was in Germany. Um, and it was, you know, of course, a 13, 14 year old going to Germany with her mom alone, like <laughs> very scary. Um, and obviously lots of incredible people from around the world showing up. And like, you know, you always think like, oh, I'm winning all these local competitions. I must be good. But you don't realize until like you meet people from like Japan and like Europe and like everywhere yeah. where they're just incredible musicians that, yes, are your level and higher. Um, and that's when I started to understand what it meant to compete all the time and what it would do to me as, you know, mentally and, and physically, honestly, too. I mean, I was getting really tired from competing. Um, but yeah, I, you know, there's a network of musicians when you compete a lot. There's the kind that you meet through school. There's the kind that you meet through gigs and orchestras and things like that. And then there are the kind that you meet through competitions. And there's a specific, like I, in my mind, there's a very specific list of people that I have that I've met through competitions and I only know through competitions. And obviously, you know, the competition environment is not super friendly, you know, right, everybody's right. sort of to themselves. It's not vicious. It's not mean or anything. No. Just, there's just this air that you walk into that feels tense. It feels anxious. It feels, uh, what, I don't even know the word. It just, it's a little bit of fear as well. Fear. I think you, yeah. you're, you're kind of like, I don't want these people to see me vulnerable. I don't want to l let them in. Yes. And it's, and there was always a part of me that I wanted to meet these people. I wanted to befriend them. I wanted to like have lunch with them and just forget that we were competing together. Right. But there was always that barrier. Like when you sat and talked to them, there's always this like, yeah, but you're competing tomorrow at 2 p.m. And I might watch you. <laughs> you know, it's like yes. this whole like inner monologue in your head that you're like, do I have to beat this person? And like, will we not be friends if yes. I beat this person or they beat me, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I go to the Aspen Music Festival every single year. I It's been, you know, six years, five years of that as well. And I will meet people from my past that I've competed with. And that's it. There's for some reason that's that's all I can get to. It's like, yeah, I, I knew them. I used to compete with them a lot, and I can't like have any other conversations with them. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and it's, it's like not, it's nobody's fault. It's just that like we met at a competition. It was tense. It was it was just the. Ugh, I'm not gonna say the worst. It's not the worst, but it just ruins that opportunity to become friends and to build that network with these incredible musicians that like. 
you clearly want to be friends with and want to work with in the future. But because yeah. you competed all the time and saw each other in that competitive environment, it kind of ruins the opportunity to like get closer with them. Um, and yeah, and just the anxiety. Like sometimes I would see a person and just get anxious. And yes. we're not even at a competition. We're maybe we're just walking on the streets of Aspen, having a good time. I'll see this person and I just get anxious. Like yeah. Yeah. I used to I used to think different things about this person. And I can't unsee that and I can't unthink those things. Um and the you know, the competition environment, while there were a lot of benefits to doing competitions, obviously learning the repertoire and getting, you know, performance opportunities, playing for the best musician, you know, judges out there in the world. There's also the fact that like you get out there, you might not play your best, and that's what you're known for. That's yep. what you feel like you're known for. Like you I might not have a great run of something, right? And that's that might ruin your chance of winning. You know, mm -hmm. that just ruins you as a musician, as a person. And yep, because you have these uh, these musicians that are like, you know, you're only as good as your last performance. And in a way, you know, okay, yes, that is true playing wise. But that statement, its implications are you as a person are only as good as your last performance, which is not true. You, we are not defined by how well we perform. And then that adds into it because then you talk to these people after the competition. And if you have a bad run, it's always, oh, you did so great. Like, oh my gosh, yeah, congratulations. And you're just like, shut up, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we all know how yes, I did out it there. Just, like, it please feels don't. like, you know, for a long time, I always felt like I had imposter syndrome because like yes. I wouldn't actually believe people when they said, oh, you play so well like you know that there was that one measure in that the middle of the piece that you just didn't do so well and they're saying but it was so incredible you're such a great musician and you just don't believe them because, yeah and that's what a competition does to you because yep. one note can be the deciding factor between first place and second place mm -hmm. at that level you know it's like everybody always says oh well you know they're looking at the they're looking at the at the musicality blah blah, blah. it's like well everybody's musical at this level Everybody's got great technique. You just happen to mess up one little tick mentally and, you know, a little bit of an intonation problem here. Maybe you hit an open string on accident right. and that's checked. You know, that's like a little one point, off. Yeah. One point off. And, and it, because it has to be like that at that level, because it's so high up there, you know, it's like watching the Olympics, uh, yes. uh, you know, and like, if they just, if like a, a runner doesn't get the perfect, start to like in a relay you know it will cost them you know so it's 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 tough and so it's weird that you know you were kind of not weird but it sucks that you're kind of conditioned at this young age to think like oh my god what are people thinking of me and like what are what like i know these these are the people i've known the longest but i don't know them at all yes you know and at a young age a young age going into music knowing that you want to go into music that I like that word condition. It conditions you into this really negative path. Yes. And by the end of, you know, I was competing so much in high school, so much to the point where like, I'm just going to be honest, I probably shouldn't have passed high school because I was gone so much competing and auditioning and doing all kinds of things around the world. But I got to the point where I was like competing because either I wanted the money. I needed the money. I, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a very uh, financially stable home. So I always felt the need to sort of help the family out, go win a competition, help the family, you know, things like that. But also to prove something. 
like maybe not even to me, but to prove something to everyone else around me. Of course, like, yeah. That I needed to maintain this status of winning all the time or doing all these competitions. And it was so negative to the point where like, I think in my last uh, few international competitions, I got so anxious to the point that I wanted to just like throw up before I went on stage and to see other people in the concert gowns or in their suits ready to go on made me feel so anxious. And of course, at the time, I didn't know what anxiety was like. what I yeah. just thought that's just me being nervous. Like, that's normal. That's totally normal. Not to the point where you want to throw up or like to the point where like you get on stage, you have a flub somewhere and it ruins you. Like it ruins the rest of your performance because you think this is it. I lost it. This is it. Yeah. I can't pass the next round or I won't win because of this one thing that I did. And it also brings up the point of like, what is perfection? And what yeah. is what is truly a winner, you know, at this point? Because do we want to be the most in tune person, but then kind of sacrifice some musical freedoms and liberties that the spontaneity stand out? Like I don't yeah. know. And I, I was just getting in my head about all of it. Obviously, I, I'm very thankful for those experiences. One, I got to play with like the Chicago Symphony and the Cleveland <laughs> Symphony Orchestra, which is like, I will always cherish those memories forever. But getting there, getting to that point, getting to play with them just didn't feel right to me. And so when I ended up at Colburn, um, I made the very conscious decision. Well, at the time I was thinking still, maybe, you know, maybe I still want to be a soloist. Maybe I'll do that. But to stop competing, at least for a year or two, just to sort of take a break from it all, breathe, see how I feel. And actually at my time at Colburn was when I realized, I don't think I want to be a soloist. I don't think I want this lifestyle. It just, I don't want to be anxious 24 seven. I don't want to be thinking about other people all the time. You know, I want to focus on me and I want to make music my way. Um, and so it, it was a long process to kind of being like, actually, I kind of like being a concertmaster. I think I would really enjoy being a concertmaster or a, you know, a violinist in a leadership-like role, like an assistant or associate. I, re I've really learned to enjoy that. And only recently have I really decided like, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. It feels yeah. too late to me, but I made that decision. Here we are. <laughs> no, <Still>. I mean... <laughs> A lot, well, a lot of concert masters and assistants, they, I feel like have similar paths, you know, they, they have similar paths of they, they grow up doing this, this conditioning and they go through the weeds, like big time of competition after competition after competition, because let us not forget the price of being at the top is extremely high. You, you pay a big price of being at the top of this field. And I think you have, you have definitely seen the cost of that. You have bared the cost of, of that. And, you know, a lot of these concert masters, they do exactly what you do. So I don't think it's, it's behind at all. I don't think you're any sort of behind. I think you are right, right I'm, on track. I'm, I'm too behind. <laughs> exactly. And but, I, yeah. I, I feel that too. You know, when right. I talk to my family and I tell them how behind I am, I'm like, Oh, you know, I didn't right. get lessons when I was a kid, blah, blah, blah. And right. they're, like, dude, they're like, dude, calm down. You know, it's like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. And yes. so we're just, you know, the the higher up you get, you know, in this field, the more you progress, just the the more like where just wearing down. It's like sanding down your mental health, just always, constantly, oh, yeah. until until like, one day you're just like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this again? Oh, right, I'm playing music. I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I was talking to a friend about this the other day that like in February, this basically the anniversary of uh, me playing for 20 years and which Hold is on, I just spit out my water there. <laughs> I just watched that happen. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, 20 years and and to feel behind at 20 years is a thing. I know because I was talking to a friend who had started very late, like very late considering in the music world being like yeah. late high school. That is considered yes. late in the class. That's me. School. That's me. Yeah. <laughs> but I started at four and I decided I wanted to go the orchestra route maybe end of 2019. And what, that's like 18 years in? Like yeah. I, for 18 years, I trained to be a soloist. And then just 18 years goes by and I'm like, you know what, actually I wanna be a concert master. And to switch from being a soloist to a concert master, there's actually quite a few things that like you have to change in the way yeah. you act and the way you play. And I feel behind, you know? And it's just like, I cannot believe we've almost reached 20 years. I cannot believe it. It's truly just mind baffling. but. Yeah. And it's like, it, it, and that's, that's, I think a result of that conditioning throughout all those years of competing, you know, like you don't tell a, a you don't talk to a pilot and they're like, yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years. I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing. You're like, wait, 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 whoa, hold on, sir. You know, they're like, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. I could fly this plane in my sleep. And they probably do. But you know, it just shows that this field, like how volatile it, ma it makes a person. Like you're just always like so on edge. You're like, oh my god, I didn't do this thing 20 years ago. Now I'm, I'm absolutely just, I'm, I'm shit out of luck. I'm screwed. And it's like, no, you're really, really not screwed. But we don't see that. We just, we don't. And like, I am guilty of it. Everybody I know is guilty of it at this, you know, at this point in our careers, uh, you know, as students and you know, leaving school soon. Like we all feel like this. We can give ever. we can each give each other advice, but deep down, man, we all feel like we have this imposter syndrome and that we don't belong there. And it's, uh, it's Not just feeling like you belong. Yes. That one's real. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. It is. And we will get into that. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's a mess, but you know, the competition thing, that's really great that you were able to at least take some stuff from it and see it now from this, you know, perspective of like, yeah, I got something out of it, but you know what? That wasn't, um, that wasn't my be all end all. That wasn't my bottom line. And that's okay. It's okay to, to say, yeah, you know what? I did this for a while. It, I'm, I'm good for now. I'm good for now. Nothing is set in stone. You could revisit it, but who knows? And so then after, you know, once you got to Colburn, now, now getting to Colburn, like what was experience there? Like once you got there and you totally just did a paradigm shift of like, you know what, I'm going to take some breaks from competing. That was all you knew. Yeah. <laughs> that's, honestly, that's kind of all I knew. Like um, competing really set the tone for when I showed up at Colburn, to be honest. Um, it was the first time I was on my own and I was very far away from my family and uh which i wanted i i wanted that change um but it was scary obviously and not to not telling my mom who really wanted me to you know go down the ray chen route you know <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah yeah ugh, gosh um and not telling her that i was just kind of done with it i was tired of it i was exhausted i was burnt out at 18 which is <laughs> kind yeah. of sad that i was burnt out um but you know what? That is so common for yes. a lot of classical musicians, especially who did a lot of the competing and whatnot. 
every four years I get a big burnout. You know, when I started my master's degree too at Colburn, I also was feeling a burnout. I mean, it just like at some point you're just like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this for so long and I don't know what I'm doing, you know. But yeah, when I got to Colburn, it was a huge shift. I had moved teachers. And, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, I studied with the Vamoses for 10 years, a full decade, you know. And then I went to my current teacher, Mr. Robert Lipset, who is a complete 180 shift from the Vamoses, who are very theatrical, in your face, get up and play with you. They sing with you. They nurture you. And my teacher, my current teacher, he sits in the chair and he delegates. And he's very yes. calm. He's very quiet. He says what he needs to say. It's very honest. It's to the point. Mm-hmm. And it was this crazy, like, just, I I couldn't handle it. To be honest with you, for the first six weeks, I was in this, like, spiral of, like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? And do I like this? And, like, obviously, I liked my teacher a lot. We, I, I chose him because I felt like there were certain techniques that I didn't quite get um, growing up and he fixed them with me within a couple of years. So that's what we did for the first couple of years of my degree, my undergrad degree, we worked on techniques. We fixed my vibrato. We worked on sound. We worked on all kinds of intonation. Oh my gosh, my intonation improved so much when I got to Colburn. Um, and for that, I'm just so grateful. That was the one thing I felt in competitions costed <laughs> me was intonation. Gotcha. Um, and it was, it was tough also. Um, my undergrad was tough. It, I had the smallest undergrad class in Colburn history. Uh, it was two violins, two violas, two cellos, one tuba, and one harp. That's it. Oh my goodness. So if you can imagine, I went to a public high school of like, what, 500 in my class? Yeah. You eight in my Eight. Class. Eight. <laughs> it just... <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, to our, our audience, you know, Colburn's a small school. It's, it's very small, you know, around a hundred or so people, but eight in one class, that is truly, that's small. No matter wh- where you go, that's just small. <laughs> All of our classes were together. We lived in two suites total, three, maybe three suites total. Um, yeah, I roomed oh. with two other girls in my in my class. It was four girls for four guys. It was intense. It was a lot. And our personalities, I'm sure they're going to be fine with me saying this, but didn't mix. We did not get along. None of us. I mean, like, there were, oh, you know, no. we eventually ended up pairing up, but it was rough. It was so rough. And, um, and it's actually funny because when we graduated as a class together, our uh, one of our classmates that gave the undergrad speech mentioned that. That was like her whole speech oh, was how much God. we didn't get along and how we had to grow together and learn what it was like growing up in an environment like Colburn, which is, you know, in a conservatory that small, isolating. Yes. You know, no matter what, the Extremely. fact that you only have like, what, eight to 10 people in your class, it's already so isolating because you're kind of singled out naturally. I was the only undergrad that Lipset accepted that year. I had nobody to lean on in my studio. Yeah. And it was intense. It was so intense. And everybody's good at Colburn, you know? Like, you go to studio class and you're just like, I can't go like, yeah, yeah, you're like, oh, right. Like, oh my goodness, I gotta, yes. I gotta step I it up. I showed up and Will Hagen was still there in my studio. So was Simone Porter. Like, 
Blake. Wow. And it just, Eduardo Rios. And man, I was intimidated. I was small. I was intimidated. I felt so alone. And, you know, again, it's not really the fault of Colburn, but it just, the way it's set up. The way, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like I said, it goes back to this, the price that you pay to be at the top and to be at this high level is extremely high. And that includes foregoing like what many would consider a normal undergrad experience. You know, you don't, I, you know, I went to UT mm -hmm. uh, in, in Austin and like, you know, my interests change. My, my, uh, uh, I had friends, mainly a main group of friends that weren't musicians. And I preferred that honestly. Mm -hmm. And I think if I had, I had wanted so bad to transfer out of UT when I got there so badly, I wanted to be, I was almost going to go to NEC and I was like, I was really just torn and I wanted to just go somewhere else. But I mean, thankfully I didn't, I stayed because, you know, I was happy that I was able to get a normal, I guess, regular like university uh, experience. Not that one or the other is better, but I know that I did better in that environment than I would have at like a small school. So it's tough, you know? And now that you mentioned, that you mentioned grad school, so like, you know, where you and I met was this class with uh, Dr. Tiffany Kuo, who is, you know, she's a great person, really does care about her students. Yes. Um, and, you know, this class that we're in is uh, a class that Colburn started this year that was Dr. Kuo's idea, I believe, yes. on, uh, yeah, systemic racism and reparations in the symphony orchestra in America. And what Dr. Kuo's aim was for this class was to teach us you know, the history of the orchestra, you know, we, in this class, we learned, you know, the, the philanthropic means of which, you know, the Boston, excuse me, uh, the, I burped. The, <laughs> we learned the, uh, <laughs> we learned the, uh, the, the way that the Boston symphony was formed and we learned how, uh, you know, philanthropy, philanthropy and the, uh, like, plays a role in the formation of the orchestra in this country, you know, and we learned about slave orchestras and, uh, you know, so a lot of great things have come out of this class and, you know, we've made kind of a community of this, you know, we've gotten people in from Sphinx, uh, from Institute of Composer Diversity to talk with us and uh, really we're just trying to foster like a, a better environment in the field, you know, so this class is, has been like a, like very helpful. You know, it's, it's tough. This kind of thing is tough. You know, I think it's real easy to sit back and critique things that we don't like about something, but in reality, like putting together a class and making a mission statement and trying to gather stuff for a whole 16 week course is just, it's very difficult, you know, but I, I commend Dr. Kuo for thinking that this is important enough to, you know, say, Hey, we need this class. This is a class that, that and I hope more universities uh, are receptive to this and are like, hey, yeah, we should have a class like this. You know, Colburn, thankfully, isn't a public university, so it can add class classes and, and take them away. And it just, you know, it can do things at a quicker rate than like, you know, like UT, for example. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are you, what are your thoughts about this class and, and its and its mission and how do you how have you liked it so far? I mean, yes, basically yes to everything you just said and <laughs> huge huge thank you to Dr. Uh, Quo for you know 
giving us this opportunity to learn about all this stuff obviously was new news to me and I, I hate that it was new news to me you know learning all this stuff I wish that you know conservatories in general were putting this stuff in their history courses and even in the theory courses just to include it somewhere but never was you know no and that's that's a problem you know they they it's not a part of the of this curriculum and I think you know uh this goes off to the, this conversation that you're telling me about with your friend where it's there's uh there's kind of a disconnect between a lot of people who are a high level musician in the field in the classical field and activism you know it's there if you're an activist and you're speaking out while trying to be a good musician a good classical musician you're you're kind of looked down upon like there's an unspoken uh way that people look down on you they say oh well why are you doing that you're just you're just distracting for the fact that you can't play your instrument and that's not at all the case it's not like it's all. almost like you can't be both I know there's horrible stigma, horrible stigma. Um, you know, classical music is really, I mean, I was saying this to you earlier, but it's just stuck in the stone ages about a lot of things. And a lot of things. A lot of them, you know? Um, oh, yeah, my friend and I were talking about, we wanted to start our own podcast, actually. <laughs> just talking about like life, music, activism, and just being like also women, <laughs> women yeah. in classical in music, field. all the things that go into that. and. And the fact that it doesn't exist and isn't encouraged is is depressing, you know? And a class like this is like the first step to take that initiative, start something like this so that it encourages others, like and like you, to start podcasts, to start YouTube channels, you know, whatever you can on social media to spread the word, you know, and, and get these things out and to normalize these conversations. And also like, to discover all this incredible music that, you know, I've been listening to this semester. We've, we've gotten this huge list of, you know, all these incredible uh, BIPOC composers. And wow, I just, I cannot believe that I did not know about all of these pieces that I really want to bring to all conservatories and hopefully professional orchestras. You know, I want to play, you know, symphonies by Florence Price and I want to play more chamber music by Samuel Coleridge Taylor. and. Why are we not doing that? <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we had that. Uh, we had that project where you know you you did the 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 piece, right? Yeah, I uh, I got to play the Samuel Coleridge Taylor uh, clarinet quintet with another classmate of mine, um, and we got to record it in a really nice studio, and it was just like honestly a healing experience not only because i haven't played with like musicians since the pandemic has started but just the piece itself is so healing so yeah of course and it's and it was beautiful folks like this performance was absolutely awesome i mean i i haven't gotten to see very many of my classmates perform this uh this pandemic i mean in master classes yes everybody's amazing but actually perform like this is a performance setting and you know, when we did that, when we had that experience with the LA Opera and putting together our projects for that, it was just incredible, you know, seeing everybody play and, you know, like Alisa, Hairbrick, Max, you, you know, just everybody just was laying it down. Katie, uh, all my, all my classmates, you know, awesome. shout out, shout out to everybody in that class. You all, you guys are so awesome. Uh, and so it was just, it was really cathartic. You know, and I think I think you would agree. And oh, yeah. yeah, so so it's it's good. I, I think this class 
I hope it continues and I hope this class grows as well, like changes and, and, you know, kind of adds to, to its mission and just gets more developed. You know, I really hope that we don't just see, you know, this class, these types of classes come up for a couple years in a university setting. And then all of a sudden just they're gone as quickly as yes. they can. This cannot be a phase. Another thing that this kind of reminds me of is, uh, is image, you know, creating, creating like a, an image in classical music, because, you know, we all have to, with social media, it's so, it's so tough. You know, you have been successful at this. I think your online presence is great. You know, you, you have like a very big Instagram presence and a presence on Twitch. You had mentioned something to me about an experience you had with like with weight loss and then feeling like people were treating you different. So what was yeah. the deal with that? Oh my goodness. This is like a lifelong, this is a lifelong thing for me. Um, I had always been like, you know, the cute little chubby half Asian kid, like <laughs> always. And whenever I walked on stage, it was me in these poofy dresses. It was adorable when I was young, you know, like just to see this little kid with big cheeks come out and <laughs> play these big pieces, whatever, you know, it's adorable. But as you grow older, right, it becomes less and less cute. Um, well, to me, of course, and of course, and to many people around me. Um, and that has always been something thrown my way throughout my career, throughout my life. Uh, mentors would say, oh, you look good today. Like, you, did you lose some weight? Have you been eating better, dieting maybe? Um, or, you know, sometimes uh, people would just say like, you know, like working out is, is really important as a musician. Like you should try it. You know, you should try, you know, try this or try that. And, um, and a couple of years ago, I had been dealing with a lot of things in my personal life and it took a toll on me and a really, really negative toll on me. Uh, this is like end of uh, 2018, maybe. Um, and just because of this, because of my, my life and my personal life, I started losing weight, like just rapidly. Um, just wasn't really eating at all. And during that process, during those like seven months where I lost this insane amount of weight, um, people were complimenting me instead of asking me, are you okay? You know, and in oh. a school of like, you know, 100, 120 people to be asked, what are you doing? Like, what is the secret? Like, you look so good. Are you, like, how much weight have you lost? Like, what size are you now? Just, but secretly inside, I was like dying. And, and <laughs> was nobody like, was, nobody thought to ask, hey, yeah. golly, are you okay? Like, yeah, I mean, like, I was what I think my starting weight was maybe I'd reached almost 200 pounds and not once in my life had I really thought like I need to lose weight you know like I I was comfortable with who I was and I was happy and I liked awesome. me yeah and when this started happening I started gaining this mentality of like oh people are looking at me now and people are you know viewing me as a different human being and do I like this? I don't know. I was just getting all this attention. And finally, we hit we hit the point where I was, it was too much. I was at a weight that was unacceptable. And that's when a couple, not not everybody, a couple people were like, hey, are you are you doing okay? Like, you know. And the fact that it took them like six, seven months to ask was 
alarming. And that's another thing in classical music that I, I particularly women experience is looking your best. I remember that, you know, when as I was being trained to be a soloist, the thing that I was taught is you are judged from the moment people see you. It's not when you start playing. It's the moment they can see your face, your dress, your shoes, what earrings you're wearing, how much makeup you're wearing. Image is everything. It suddenly becomes this like beauty pageant. Yeah. <laughs> and if you don't look your best or you're wearing a pantsuit or you cut your hair super short or you dyed it pink or you have many tattoos or something, it's, there's a stigma against all of that in classical mm -hmm. music that you're not taken as seriously if you have one of those things. And for me, I felt like, be, you know, me at my chubbier state, I wasn't taken as seriously. And so when I, you know, gone down all these sizes, my mentors were commenting on how great I looked and how this would advance my career and how, <laughs> I don't know if you know anything about violin playing or, you know, how the setup is, but um, all violinists uh, can choose whether to use like a shoulder rest, a sponge, yeah. or I actually had to go from nothing to a shoulder rest because, you know, I lost yeah. some weight in certain areas. And for people to pressure me to answer why I had to go to a shoulder rest was like, I can't even say the word insulting because maybe it was innocent, but obviously it was because I look very different, right? And yeah. so, yeah, I mean, that experience was horrendous. And in my social media presence as well, when I started, it was an accident, just to, just to clarify. <laughs> first, when I posted my very first video in like 20, what, what even was it? Like 2017, it was a complete accident. Like I just decided, I was like, I'm gonna post the first like page of the Sibelius Violin Concerto and just see how it goes. And it blew up, 10,000 views in the next couple days. Like people were commenting, that viola kid commented and said, Whoa. more. And like, I could not believe, and you know, at the time, I was not, you know, the way I look now. And I was like, oh my gosh, people like me for my playing. Like, it's not all about the way I look. Because Instagram, obviously, is all about image, right? Yes. Um, and so I started posting a lot. And then once I was experiencing these personal life issues at the end of 2018, I stopped. I just stopped. I didn't post for like six months, six, seven months. And then I posted a video. Just me as a completely different human being. And skyrocketing numbers, just like people following me left and right and commenting and, and getting tons of DMs saying, you look amazing. Wow, you look so good. Like, it wasn't about my playing anymore. It was, I looked good. And the more I posted, it was like, you look so beautiful. You know, all those like creepy old men. That yeah, so we know that. Yep. But that had a huge negative impact. Like, I was starting, like, honestly, I was starting to feel better just life in general you know i i'm i'm now at a very comfortable place that i'm very happy about but you know i was feeling good about myself but also my playing my playing was skyrocketing you know like i was doing much better my technique was improving i was doing all these amazing things and it was all about you look so good that dress looks amazing on you or like what shoulder rest are you using now and it was also triggering like i can't yes, even because... tell you what it was like and um and i still deal with that because you know, from one Aspen to another, I just, people didn't recognize me. Like, they would come up and they'd be like, hi, my name is, wait, you look very familiar. And it was alarming how many people did that to me. Oh, and my goodness. And just how crazy it is 
to be, you know, a performer, be a, a musician and to change in what, you know, in whatever way, changing your hair, changing, you know, maybe you have a bunch of tattoos now that you want to show off or like weight loss, weight gain. And to have that either positively or negatively impact your career is... Because either way, it's going to impact your career. Either that's, way. Yeah, that's, no the, that's, the, that's the kicker there is that either way, somebody's going to say, I, I like that. Or somebody's going to say, I don't like that. And the shitty thing is that whoever's saying that may or may not have control over what happens next in your career. And that's, that's the problem. And I understand why it was so triggering for you because you, you said, it sounded like you suffered pretty much in silence while the rest of your classmates were like, oh, you know, I'm busy with my life. Oh, she looks good. Okay, next. You know, nobody was like, hey, I should maybe, you know, we should all check up on each other. And that's another thing is that people in this, in this field, it's, it's, it's dog eat dog in a lot of, in a lot of circumstances. I mean, yeah, like, it, it, in a very nice way, of, of course. course but, nice, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna check on them. Like, I don't, I don't care how they're doing, really. Like, I gotta practice, or like, I, you know, I'm. What job audition are you taking? Okay, that's yeah. how I'll check up on them. And it's like, it's never, are they okay? Are they not? And so, one thing I like about what you've started to do is, you know, you have like this, this, uh, you, you play among us, you know, and you have this, you've built this community. And this goes back to what we talked about with the competitions, you know, maybe all those years, you were like, man, I really wish I knew these people better. And I wish I knew them more. And so, you know, you've started this community of musicians playing among us. So just how has that gone so far? Oh, it's been a blast. It's been so fun. I, you know, I'm actually very late to the Among Us game. Like I knew that it came out months or actually it came out a couple of years ago, but it blew up during quarantine. And I was just like not on that train for some reason. Same um, here. Same here. I understand. Yeah, I just like totally missed it. I don't know what happened, but um, I actually very much enjoy playing video games. It's a nice stress reliever for me. Um, but as soon as I discovered Among Us, I really wanted to play with like real people. And, you know, me being me, like, <laughs> do I want to play with strangers on the internet? Not all the time. Um, so <laughs> I was just talking to a couple of my music friends, you know, most of my friends are musicians. And I was just like, yeah, like, I really want to play this game among us. Like, I, I think it would be really fun to play with like people I know from like the music community. They're like, yeah, you should start a discord server. And so I not knowing what discord is at all. I downloaded the app, created what I thought was a server which yes, it's a server, thank God. Um, <laughs> and I just started like sending the link to all these people I knew, people from Colburn, people from Curtis, people from Juilliard, NEC, people in Canada, people in Europe. And now we play every other night, we play Among Us. And whether I stream it or not, I'm probably playing Among Us with these people. And I get to meet these people. I, we get to talk. We get to hang. Sometimes we don't even play. We just hang on the Discord voice channel. We just talk to each other. And I feel like that's sort of like healing my relationship with all those people that we were talking about earlier that I never got to meet, that I never got to get to know. And um, people that I've never met, actually, that I have seen either on Instagram or social media or people that I've passed by very quickly never got to meet them, never got to talk to them. And now we're killing each other in Among Us. And it's really <laughs> fun. <laughs> 
and people really enjoy the streams they get to and they ask me you know what do these people play you know where are they from and and what music schools are they going to and you know of course I love talking to my followers on Instagram lives but now that I get to do it on Twitch it's actually way more fun um so yeah that's been a really amazing experience I've definitely have now i definitely have a new set of friends with my, my gamer musician friends <laughs> gamer musician friends that, yes it's man. really fun um and i actually i think we're playing tomorrow night on, on a twitch stream but uh yeah that it's been a really amazing experience and building new friendships and new faces new names and hopefully one you know after this pandemic is finally over maybe getting to work with these people at yeah. some point in our lives because all musicians it's a small world we all meet each other at some point again so you know building this relationship now through what among us on a discord server might launch something in the future which is so incredible i just love how that whole that all started and people are still joining um this private by the way <laughs> discord <laughs> server it's only for you know musicians that we know at, at that are in the community but um i am planning to make an actual discord server for my followers so that we i can play with them too so yeah of yeah. course and i think that what you're doing there is just absolutely awesome you know we as a as a community can be very isolating both to ourselves and to others and this is something that really just kind of takes that away it just strips it right from under and it's like no fuck that that's not this isn't how it's, it should be we should be friends we're musicians you know like we're, we're not yes we're competing with you know people for jobs and competitions but at the end of the day we're just competing with ourselves we're just we we need to be just a better version of ourselves and as long as we're doing our best then we're winning that is point blank the message that i think is the most important that's how at least at least how i try to live you know uh, when i get in my head and whatnot so i think that what you're doing is super great and you know unfortunately we're kind of out of time but yeah. this conversation was so awesome Galia. i really appreciate you know your your honesty and just how open you were to to talking about all this it was it was so great Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. And uh, you definitely join us for a game of Among Us. I do. I, I do. I remember. <laughs> hey, last time we played, though, uh, when when I, I hopped on and it was it was the Colburn people, I uh, I was the imposter with you for the first time. Yes. I was the imposter and I was so scared. I was like, oh, I was God. like, I was like, oh, my God, I feel like Golly is like such a good imposter because she does oh. this like she plays this like semi regularly. And I was just like, I was like, OK, don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. And <laughs> and then they I forget who it was, but they, they caught me because yeah, I was not okay. a good imposter. Well, next time you come, you'll have a few practice rounds with us. And there we go. Yeah, but. Galia, it's been so great. And I very much appreciate your help with the logo and just your oh, time, man. your time with this. So yeah, um, I hope you take care and thank you again. Stay safe, everybody. All right. Yeah. Stay safe, everyone. Till next time.